Hey, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. That was a little video of just some of the things that happened here in the last week or so as uh, the, our high school youth trip went, or youth group went to Haiti. And so I asked Caleb Beyer, he's our youth pastor at the high school level, to come up here and just tell you a little bit about what happened in Haiti. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, like Steve said, my wife and I had uh, the pleasure of taking 11 of our high school students down um, to uh, an area about an hour north of Port-au-Prince, Haiti, um, where we got to partner with an organization called Mission of Hope. And, uh, and they are a phenomenal organization working on building Haiti up, um, educating Haitians to lead Haitians. And, uh, but their kind of vision throughout all of what they do is that as an organization following Jesus Christ, we seek to bring life transformation to every man, woman, and child in Haiti. And uh, it was really cool. A lot, of, a lot of our crew is sitting right down here in the front, and um, we really we got to be a part of that. And uh, it, it wasn't a, what we, a lot of us, I think, typically thought of when we thought of mission trip to Haiti. Um, but we got to partner alongside them who are doing huge things. Mission of Hope, they, they feed like 90,000 kids every day, um, either through their school system or just through um, just giving meals out to those in need. And, and so it was really cool for us to be a, a part of that and to, to share the gospel um, alongside an organization that's doing so much. Um, but I just wanted to extend a thank you out to uh, so many of you who helped make the trip possible. And uh, those of you who donated uh, through funds, but then also were with us in prayer every step of the way. And so we are so thankful. Um, we made it there. We made it back. And uh, we're all in good shape. And, and it, was, it was an awesome week. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Caleb. Yeah. Yeah. And thank, thank you guys. I mean, that's just a, um, it's just, it's you. I mean, you guys made a lot of that possible for kids to go on a trip like that, and it just shapes hearts and, 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 and offers such care and support to where they're at. And Hank, you are dominating that pickaxe in that video there, just by, and you're just dominating it. So, hey, just wanted to throw just a little piece to you guys. You may notice like two different desks and go, what's going on out in our foyer? Uh, just to let you know, we've we, we got a couple things that we're working on. Uh, so we've got in the back, we've got what we, we call the hub. We're going to call it the hub. It's for you who call life like your home. This is my home. And so that's going to have where you can get information and resources. That's going to be where you can register things. And then we have guest services. And that's for you guys who are just coming here trying to figure this thing out. Um, they allocate kind of our welcoming packages and gifts. So uh, that's going to be helpful for us and some things that we're going to do down later in, on the line. So just want you guys not to be confused on what's happening out there. Uh, this week, we're going to start a new series. This, as you can see on the screen, this week uh, we are starting a series called Ready. And, and the series is primarily focused on uh, ourselves, you and I, ministering to people in crisis and the preparation that it takes. So each one of you... Uh, as an individual or families, you have probably scores or maybe just a few, but we all have probably somebody who's in a patch of chaos in their life. And uh, we all, I think, because of the goodness of our heart, want to figure out how do we help this person? How do we bring support? How do we bring care to that situation? And so this series is really aimed to help give you some equipping, to give you some knowledge and some understand so you feel competent to, to deal with some of these uh, things that are going to pop up in your life. And so let's just start off. We're going to read out of Ephesians today, uh, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, verse 11 through 12. This is what it says. Uh, and he gave, this is Paul talking, 
He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, referring to God, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so what Paul is doing in this verse, in these verses, is he's kind of laying out the overall functioning of the body of Christ. That it functions best when we have those God-given people, those apostles, those prophets, those evangelists, those shepherds, and those teachers equipping the saints. And so other words, it means this, that the pastors in this church, the pastors in other churches, the elders, they were given to you by God. And they were given to you to be equipped to do ministry yourself. They're there to equip the saints. Now, so who, who are the saints? Who are the saints? Well, the saints are you and I who profess Jesus Christ as our Lord in our hearts, in our minds, in our mouth. You are saints. The work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross affords that because here's what the work has done. God no longer sees you in your iniquity, in your imperfection, but because you have faith in Christ, he sees Jesus' perfection and his righteousness and not your own. And so God sees Jesus when he sees us and he sees a saint. So maybe nobody's ever called you a saint. I'm calling you a saint today, right? We're sinners turned saints. And so this series is here kind of to remind us of, of of, of what we are supposed to do within the role as saints. And so we as the leaders of the church were given to you to, to train, to lead, to exemplify Christ in our lifestyle, and you are to hold us accountable to that lifestyle. Like, you are allowed to keep me accountable, make sure that I'm on the right path, and your responsibility is to be equipped to do the work of ministry yourself. And so understand this. The church is more like an educational center than it is a movie theater. It is more about growing and less about being entertained. And so that's something that we're going to dig into quite deeper when we address the series in a couple months about the local church and its design and God's creation on this earth. And so let this series remind you of who you're supposed to be, that we are ministers as well as the people up on this stage. And the way this series is designed, that we hope it might give you some confidence some equipping in these areas, and allow you to go into some places that are difficult and have some confidence in those areas. The tagline of this series is ministering life to those who are in crisis. Now, this is going to be a five-week series, and we're going to dig into a lot of heavy topics. We're going to wade through some difficult topics, some heavy topics, as we focus on how we care, how we minister, how we feel confident to bring life and hope into those situations. And so today we're gonna to kick things off and talk about when injustice prevails. Like when injustice just prevails in life. Next week we're gonna come back, we're gonna talk about how we're ready to help the poor, and then we're gonna focus on how we're ready when sickness comes to stay, and then we're gonna, week four is about being ready when sex destroys, and then week five we're gonna bring some knowledge and ideas of care into the area of homosexuality. 
And so this is going to be some, some heavy topics. We're not afraid of, of these topics. We feel like God is in it. So just come here with a heart that's ready to worship and a heart that's ready to be equipped. And so let's just start talking about injustice. Like you don't have to turn the news on for too long just to be overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that's going on in this world. You don't have to open your paper and read too far down to see that there is a lot of injustices that are taking place in this world and amongst this community. Our headlines are full of stories like innocent, like Syrians being bombed by chemical weapons. And then you watch those families flee that country, crossing the Mediterranean Sea, and there are children whose lives are lost all along the way as they look for security. We have injustices against minorities. We have, we have innocent police officers sitting in their car and being shot. And you put all of those th things together, you put all of those th th things together, as well as the fact that there have already been, to this year, 495,000 children aborted in this country alone. God-given, God-celebrated life that has ended tragically and unjust. And you throw all of those things together, and it just feels oppressive. Like, where do we begin? Like, Lord, I'm just sitting in this, and I'm crying. Where do we begin in this? And so how do we as Christians who are lovers of God and lovers of people, begin to minister to those who can't help themselves. How do we go about being somebody that seeks justice in scenarios? Those are the questions that we want to explore today. And so the big idea that we want to get out of today is this, is that injustice is everywhere, right? It is everywhere. We can't hide from it, and we were told to get messy. We were told to get messy. So let's just define injustice just to know what we're working with here. Injustice, the way that we're gonna define it, is a lack of fairness or justice. It's a lack of fairness or justice, and it's something that happens often a, a violation of a basic human right. And injustice is a product of a broken and corrupt world that is full of sin. It is not a part of God's original design for this world. God does not like injustice. He did not intend for just injustice to be present, but he certainly will use it to leverage and bring people back to himself. And so knowing this, that we share the same sort of brokenness and corruptness alongside the world in our hearts, the first place that we have to start when it, goes to start, when it, goes, when it comes to ministering to people in crisis is to look inward at our own heart and have justice for our own hearts. Because one of the greatest injustices that we succumb to individually is the injustice of self-righteousness. That we believe that we're just on our own, that we're good enough, that we're right, that we can fail to see that Jesus is the righteousness for our own injustices against God. Namely, that we have marginalized him in a way that we don't understand that we need him to remove our sin and to make us whole again. And so that is a great injustice of our hearts. And so only as we despair ourselves and cling to Jesus can we participate in his work of restoring lives, restoring the church and the world by the spirit of the Lord. We, the church, are to live now in the light of Jesus, restoring all things back to himself. And as we experience his wholeness that Christ has offered us, we are to carry his justice into the world that surrounds us. And so as it is with all things that work from the believer, 
all of our good deeds and our actions. They are multiplied in effect, in love, and hope for those who are restored and have a heart that has been transformed and made right by God. All of those whom God has made right, you are to reflect his quality of liberation, reconciliation. There is an expectation that we would bring justice into the world. And listen, there are some really beautiful and poignant words that are written by a prophet named Micah in the sixth chapter. And I love these words. It says this in Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, that is us, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. It is a beautifully simple verse. To do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Could you imagine the places that you would go and the people that you would impact if that were your life's motto? There are some beautiful lessons to be learned in the pages of Scripture, and I find this to be an absolute gem here in Micah. And so this verse has just, it squeezes me. Like, have you ever read a verse and it just squeezes you? Like, it just puts this pressure on you? You just feel this convictions from the instructions that are in place there? And notice what Micah doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, you know, guys, hey, listen, this would be a kind of a good idea if you guys did these things. Or, hey, you might get some benefit out of this if you guys started doing these things. But what does Micah say? He says, this is what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your Lord. And so, brothers and sisters, today, I just, I ask that you would take heart these commands and that we would confess our shortcomings in this area. I have had to, as I have prepared for this sermon, that we would not see our failures in this to be something that God is trying to shame us with, but that we can set our hearts in front of God in our failures and ask for mercy and grace and walk forward into a new life. And look, I know that it's tough to put yourselves out there to be a voice for those who don't have a voice, to bring care and humanity into places where people are being unjustly treated. And I know the overwhelming feeling as you see the headlines and watch the news, as you see videos of people being tortured and hear stories of people being overlooked by the government. And it absolutely is overwhelming. Like, what? What do we do? Like, where do I start with these things? And so here's some practical advice for you. Uh, don't consume yourself with the world and its headlines. Like, don't consume yourself with the headlines. Know them. But instead, find your God-given passion and go. Find your God-given passion and go. Listen to the words that Jesus writes or spoke in Luke 4. That's what he said. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And so in this verse, we see Jesus saying that he came to proclaim, to restore, and to liberate. And he has called us as believers to do the exact same thing. Justice flows from the heart and the character of God. As a true and as a good God, all of the things that are the object of his holy love, he wants to restore and makes whole again. That is what motivates God through the entirety of the Old and New Testament when it comes to the judgment of our sins and our iniquity and injustice, to make things right and whole again. 
And so, what is it that God has uniquely wired you to do? Have you ever spent time thinking about what it is that God made me to do? What did he make you to do? And consider that in the area of injustice. Pray about it and go. What makes you cringe? Like what tears your heart about? What is it? Figure that out, pray about it and go. And the tendency that we have because we have all the news that we could ever want at one time at the touch of our fingertips, we know all the things that are happening in the world at any given moment, is that we see injustice as this unbelievably huge, complex situation that is overwhelmingly intimidating, and it causes us just to sit back and go, I, don't, I can't do anything about this. But while that is true, our God through us can do amazing things. And so here's the reality. There are people in this room that God is calling you to that huge area of injustice. That God is calling you to fight for those who don't have a voice, those who are being oppressed on a global scale because of the way that he's created you, because of how he has made you. And look, I have no doubt that there are probably people in this room who God has already been nudging at their heart telling them, this is what I want you to do. I know there are people already in this room that are walking in that. And so that is certainly present. But there are also injustices that occur within this community, within this county, within this city around us. And I think because we're so in tune with all the news and all the horrors of the world that we can become farsighted of all the injustices that are taking place in this community around us. And I think that there is much to be said about the church taking care of the community that God had called it to be planted in in the first place. Uh, if we as a global movement of Christianity would rise up in our churches, in our communities, and fight injustice where we are at, there is no doubt that as a global movement we would be more impactful and the world as a whole would be a healthier place to be. And so, so for some of you today, God is calling you to fight injustice where you're at where you stand. And it doesn't have to be these huge, sweeping, monumental, newsworthy ideas that we all have in our heads. Uh, we have people who are going in front of us in this area and injustice. I had an elder come to me the other day, and he talked to me about a person that was connected to our, our church who was, was single, and she had a, a, a lot of just medical things pop up in her life. She had a lot of illnesses, stays in the hospital, and when she was in there, like her health insurance paperwork just kept piling up, piling up. You guys know that. Like health, I, hate is a strong word, that I, but health insurance, man, that stuff, that is difficult. And this lady is in the hospital for a while, and she's just got the hospital. She's got health insurance. They're just making everything difficult. Red tape, bureaucracy, papers are just stacking up. Well, this elder connects her to a lady within this church who is good at bookkeeping, who is good at organization, and she absolutely lifts this woman up. She gets things in order. This woman had the means to pay. They were just making it hard for her. And this woman stepped in and absolutely lifted her up. And you may think that sounds petty, but to her it wasn't. That was a big deal. And then you have people in this church like, like a Melissa Kelly who's working with children who are born into really difficult situations, working with, with mothers who have some really difficult things in life. She's bringing advice and guidance and hope into their lives. 
And then you have like a woman like Amy Schlichter, who's fighting with all of her heart for the unborn in this country. And she receives vitriol and malice everywhere she goes, but she is passionate about it and she is working on a state level to help our kids. These people found their passions and they have been obedient to what God has called them to do. They are bringing light into dark places in the local and state level. They are not just sitting behind their screens sharing stories of injustice. They are in the trenches getting messy. And so I encourage all of us, and this is including myself and this church, to take note of the opportunities that we have in our life to, hurt, to serve the struggling, to serve the, 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 the people who are being oppressed, to serve the poor. And I can tell you as a church, we're doing a lot of heart checking. And it is birthing this vision of what if we as a church could lift this community up? Like, when you read the Wikipedia page on Wells County, you will see a lot of percentages. You will see percentages of people who are on welfare. You will see percentages of people who are on drugs. You will see percentages of kids in poverty. You will see a lot of different, really tragic percentages. But what if we, at Life, what if we could be a catalyst through collaboration with like-minded partners? Because of our love for Christ and our discipleship, what if we could be a catalyst for change in this community? What if in five or 10 years, we could take all of those percentages and because of our efforts here, we could have reversed the trend in this county. And so we are dreaming big in this church. And we are dreaming about a healthy family initiative that attacks all the factors that cause those percentages to rise. And we're going. We refuse to dream small. And so for you, brothers and sisters, what are you dreaming about that God might use you for? Because look, you are not limited to the reality that you set in today. God gives us a big faith. Far too often, we settle at being good at the things that we are able to do in life instead of dreaming about doing the things that God made us to do and then doing that a whole heck of a lot. What is it that God has made you to do and dream about how you use that in your faith in ways that serve those who are being unjustly treated? And look, in injustice, much like all things that we do as Christians in our lives, the way that we go about handling our business matters. The way that we interact with this world matters. And so as you go and be a voice, as you go and fight, let me remind you this. Let your relationship with your, your love for Christ lead the way. Let your love for Christ lead the way. You are to do justice, but you are to love kindness, and you are to walk humbly with your Lord. And so as you go out and become a voice and bring justice to situations, let your love for kindness and your humility with the Lord shine through all of that. Some of the best ways that we can begin to serve the underprivileged and the people who are being oppressed in this community and across the world is just to listen to them. Can we just sit and listen to them and get perspective on where they're at? 
that because we can just sit with them and love them and grieve with them and cry with them, that we might learn how we better can serve them and advocate for them. And so with victims who are being oppressed, we have to bring empathy and compassion and understanding. You don't have to be their savior. Do not have a savior complex in this. You are just to point them to the savior and then to help advocate for them. And here's the deal. That's messy. Like that is messy. But when will we stop believing that Jesus ever said that a life with him would be easy? He has never led us to believe that. His word never has said that. And so we stand in the gap with people, we sit in their mess with them, and we walk with them in that mess. And now when it comes to advocating for injustice in our communities across the globe, we can often view injustice as like two different teams. Like you have the, the people who are being oppressed, who are being wronged, and then you have the bad people, those who are oppressing those uh, who, are, who are being unjustly treated. The bad people and the people that are being oppressed. And what that can lead us to is this idea of injustice that very much acts similar to revenge. That we're just trying to give to people what they deserved. But that's not what Christ would lead us. Like, he has always said, like, love your enemies, pray for your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Your love for kindness and your humility with the Lord does not end with the people that you help. It's our identity. It is not based upon your circumstances. It is always to be there. And sure, there is such a thing as righteous anger that we get upset and frustrated with the things that are going on. And that should be there to move us into action. We shouldn't stay there. We as a Christian should have the ability to give love and kindness to both those who are being victimized and those who are doing the wrong. We don't have to settle the score. We are not score settlers here on earth. Why? Because we know that ultimate justice is not in our hands. We know that we have a good father who sits on the throne and his justice is the only justice that we care about. He is a just and right and good God. And because of that, we can love people, we can care, we can choose to impact, we can proclaim, we can liberate, all with the love and the truth of Christ in our hearts and in our minds. One of the best stories that I have ever heard in this area of bringing our love for Christ into injustice is through a man named Bob Goff. Uh, Bob Goff is an author, he's an activist, he's an international lawyer. He wrote the book called Love Does. He has an international organization called Restore International. Bob begins to work with the Ugandan government because he sees a backlog of children who have been wrongfully accused in their home countries of crimes that they did not commit for various heinous reasons by other men in their community. Those children are waiting trial, waiting, uh, waiting trial. And in their waiting, they are separated from their families and their moms and their dads. And because the system of justice in Uganda is so slow, these kids spend years away from their families for trumped up charges of things that they did not commit. And Bob jumps in and gets involved. He brings Pepperdine University in and they are freeing hundreds of children who have been wrongfully accused. And it was during that time that Bob met a boy named Charlie. And Charlie is an incredible story. 
One of the things that is a stronghold in the country of Uganda is witchcraft. There are millions of people who practice witchcraft. And there are these people called witch doctors that we all think are this fictional character in an, in a, an extinct culture, but they are real in Uganda. And the witch doctors in Uganda practice child sacrifice. They believe that the parts of children are magical. And they cut off the heads and the arms of private parts of kids, and they traffic them to people within the country, and they leave those children for dead. Unbelievably horrific. Bob comes and he hears about this. And he says, I want to try this. Help me try these cases. And the Uganda government says two things. He said, look, <clears throat> there's never a victim. They're always dead. Nobody can tell you who did it. And the other thing is our judges are so scared of the witch doctors in our country coming and destroying their families if they ever brought this to a conviction. So Bob's got a lot of things working against him. But two miracles happen, and one of them is a boy named Charlie. Charlie is an eight-year-old boy who is walking away from school, and he's abducted by this heinous warlord, this witch doctor named Kabi. And Kabi takes him, and he cuts his private parts off, and he leaves him for dead. But Charlie doesn't die. They find Charlie walking on the side of the road, and Bob meets him, and Charlie says, I can tell you who did this. And Bob gets righteous anger. And he finds a judge in the Congo who will try this case. And they find Kavi, and they bring him to the court, and they try him for crimes against humanity. And he's convicted and put into prison for 50 years in what we know in that country to be a death camp. And the ripple effects amongst the witchcrafting community are huge because they know that there are consequences. They know that there are justices. There is justice to be had for them. And look, if that is where the story would stop, we'd be like, hey, Bob, you got him. We'd be excited about that. But that's not where the story stops. Because here's the thing about Bob. He knows that God loves everyone. And he knows that Kabi is God's created being. And so you know what Bob does? Is he goes to the prison and he meets with Kabi every 60 days in Uganda. And Kabi, the first time he meets Bob, he takes a knee and he just begins to profess remorse for what he's done to this boy. He's just so sorry. And Bob reacted just like you and I probably would. I'm not having any of that. You're just sorry that you got caught. And then Kabi begins to tell him about how he got swept up into witchcraft, what it did to his life and where it took him. And then he meekly says this, I guess what I need is just forgiveness. Bob Goff led Kabi to Christ in that prison. He said, I didn't want to. I didn't think he deserved it. But I knew what the Lord would want for me. And now Kabi is in a death camp bringing people to Christ. How amazing is that? That our God can do that. And here's the thing. That's not all the end. Charlie, an American doctor, hears the story and he restores Charlie back to everything he was before Kabi. It's amazing. Our God is amazing, and he works incredibly in the areas of injustice if we have a big faith, 
if we have a big faith. And so look, fighting injustice is not uncommon amongst this world. We have tons of secular organizations that are fighting for causes around the world, and they are noble and to be celebrated. But we, as Christians, have a vastly different expectation in a way about us because we believe in the love of Christ. And because we believe in the truth of who Jesus Christ is, our hearts are transformed by his knowledge, by his grace, and by our, his mercy. And our hearts are set free from our own injustices from the Father that we could give love and mercy and care, not just to the victim, but to the very people that do it. The world can't do that. And do you know why? Because this isn't our home. We don't belong here. Our justice does not come here on earth. Our justice comes with the Father, and we trust in him. And because of that, we are able to love even the most wicked heart because we believe that God moves to trans people, transforms people's lives that we couldn't even dream that he could do. He changes people's hearts, and we don't have to settle the score here. We just get to love, and we get to serve people in very difficult situations. And so my desire today is absolutely to challenge us and myself in this area of injustice. The big idea, guys, injustice is everywhere. We can't hide from it, and we were told to get messy. We can't hide from it, and we were told to get messy. And so might you dream a little past what you were just able to do and dream about what God has made you to do and carry that out as you stand up for those who are being unjustly treated in this community, in the world. And so to close today, I think it would be very appropriate for us to put that Micah 6-8 on, on, the, on the board and let us read this together with voices united, reading Micah 6-8 together to remind us what God requires of us. So let's read this together. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today, and we ask that you would move in our hearts, that you would forgive us of our shortcomings in this area, and that you would help us identify what it is, Lord, that you have made us to do. And that, God, you would give us a passion to serve you in that area. Lord, we pray for the injustice amongst this community, amongst this world, that you would raise up people that would be freedom fighters, that would be truth tellers, that would love and advocate for those who don't have a voice. And, God, we are inviting you to use us in this room to do it. And so, God, we thank you for all that you have done. We thank you for your son, and it's in his name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.